The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box. For casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in Persistent and Nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? Well, I have no idea (laughs) what is going on. What are we supposed to do and not do? I basically think we're almost back in full lockdown, but not quite because the shops are still open. Is that basically it? And we can travel if we really need to. So not quite full lockdown, but almost. Um, Yeah, answers on a postcard if you know exactly. (laughs) But seriously, uh, if everybody, if we just are kind to each other, wear our masks, wash our hands because it's the only way that we're going to get through this. Um, I hope that you're all well. Today's episode I am so excited to share with all of you is with the amazing American poet and spoken word artist Ashley Hayes. Um, Misha and I spoke to Ashley about a month ago, so um, there'll be kind of mentions of that first kind of lot of restrictions that were brought back in um not where we are now talk about Boris letting his pals go hunting you know just the usual and also obviously with a uh, Ashley being American we discuss briefly not too much um the upcoming election in the US um there's also a story I don't want to preempt the story but there's a story that Ashley tells and I would love to know if any of you have heard any updates about this story um just to see what is actually getting out there. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, anyway, enough of me rabbiting on as usual. Uh, again, you know the drill by now, I'm sure, but please follow us on all social media. Twitter, at Persistent Nasty. Instagram, at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook, Persistent and Nasty. You can always email us, persistentandnasty at gmail.com. And remember to like, comment and subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews. It really does make all the difference. And for those of you asking how you can support us, there is a PayPal link in the description box. Chuck us the price of a cup of coffee 
we'd be super grateful. Um, lots of me aiming and eyeing. Uh, it's been a long day. However, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Misha, that water bottle is making a lovely noise. I know. I realised as I'd like had my little sip. <laughs> ASMR. 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 Ah, that is funny. You um, got the whole mic set up. Yeah, we're we're good. We're good. Um, Ashley Hayes, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. We are Thank you all for having me. Ridiculously excited to have you. Um. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll just have a a chit chat. So my name is Ashley Hayes. I'm a poet and spoken word artist. I'm U.S. based. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, which is in the American South. Um, I have been performing poetry for most of my life, probably over 15 years, but I've been doing it professionally and as a living for the past four years. So prior to COVID, I was touring, performing my work at colleges, universities. I had some great opportunities to do some work with like NPR's Tiny Desk, um, one of the UK's own Dev Hines. Uh, we were able to record Tiny Desk and I appeared on the Freetown Sound album. And so it's just been like a crazy few years of performing poems. And my work is largely based on my experiences as a black woman, a woman of color, of course, living in America, um, feminism is prevalent. Of course, social justice is prevalent in my work. And so those are the themes that show up often. And so when I'm not doing poetry and recording for YouTube, I run a podcast myself called Hayes' Higher Learning, and it is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. So I'm, you know, kind of trying to do a little work in the world, and, and those are the means in which I do it. Amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean... I, uh, your poetry is incredible. Um, Thank you. It just really, uh, you touch something really deep um, as a female listening to it. And then obviously you'd experience as a, as a black female and living in America. Um, would love to go into that a little bit more with you if you are happy to chat about that. Absolutely. The work is fair game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I do want to discuss Ode to a Fuck Boy which I think might be one of my absolute favourites but <laughs> I listened to it again just before and I was like yes <laughs> it's always like hilarious to me when those are the poems that hit for people because like one I hesitate to like say fuck boy out loud but then I was like whenever I wrote it or performed it was like fuck this <laughs> we're gonna name it what it is and it's so interesting that that's the one people draw draw themselves to and that fuck boy like transcends culture lines transcends like where you are in the world <laughs> like trifling is trifling and that translates well so <laughs> I am always happy to talk about that yeah, it totally does. I think we can come to that after, uh, like later on. Um, but it is funny that that one that you're saying stands out. Um, as you say, it transcends. It doesn't matter what, um, where you are in a class system or where you are, whatever color you are or religion you're in. A fuck boy is a fuck boy. <laughs> fuck boy is a fuck boy, day in and day out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> boy's gonna do what fuck boy's gonna do yeah all yeah. the time okay it's like newton's law right yeah <laughs> yeah so um your experience obviously of being female first of all 
we are a feminist podcast please the the floor is yours oh just to talk a little bit so I mean my experience is here as you can imagine um my voice is largely marginalized um, being a Black woman, right, a femme-presenting woman. Um, and so when we have conversations about feminism, it's always important to me that we talk about intersectionality because we can't not talk about it. We have to talk about where the color of your skin also impacts how you're treated by men in the workplace and how your bodies are police you know it's so interesting to talk about this on a week where a black woman brings to light that the bodies of immigrant women have been violated in these camps and um un unlawful hysterectomies have been practiced in one of trump's camps you know and so all of those things of course fuel fire and fuel art and so for me art is my activism i present my art as a way to give words to the women who have experienced fuck boys but may not have the language to say it the women who may experience injustice in the workplace but may not have the language to say it people who've dealt with police violence and those sort of issues i give language to the people who are affected most um, which I think is an important task. You know, you can turn on the TV and see people who don't look like you and who don't share your experiences. But to be a person in media and to be able to reflect those stories and to be a mouthpiece is a big job, right? But it's one of the things that um, I take a lot of pride in. Um, and so that's sort of my con contribution to the movement and kind of how my work fits into the context of it. I mean, yeah, I it's something that we have, since we started Persistent and Nasty, it was very much about being intersectional across the board for us and being very aware of being um, three white women from Scotland mm -hmm. uh, and where our place sits in all of that. Uh, and I think it's really, and I can only speak for myself, and I think it's really easy for us to kind of go, yeah, 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 we've got privilege, but I think we need to be really aware of that and make sure that we're investigating what that actually means mm -hmm, and making sure that, you know, we are there for the sisterhood. And when I say that, I just mean that in a broader, the broadest context, context possible of, um, because, I mean, I believe that feminism is the social economic sexual equality for all no matter yes your background like that's what feminism means to me um so yeah just the fact that I mean the whole thing with um these illegal hysterectomies I can't even what is the reaction to think about right yeah what's what's the reaction like just now with that over in America is there outrage or is it kind of getting ignored because it's immigrant women there's, there's a little bit of both right there's a little bit of outrage and then you know we've got a presidential election less than 60 days upon us um so there's those who try to sweep it under the rug but I tell you what um I'm a member of what's called black twitter and on black twitter the conversations that I've been seeing are a call from women saying to protect the woman who blew the whistle right mm -hmm. People are intently aware that she is now um, the face of this movement, that this nurse who went to work, did her job, decided to speak up and say something, could very likely be in danger 
um, because of this, because of what it means politically. In the same way that we have seen, um, I can't recall her name now, but the Muslim woman who um, was educating women and then was shot by, what is the name of it? Is I don't want to say that. Yes, yes, Malala. Yeah, I can't actually yeah. give her name. And so to think about how quickly you can go from a nurse to like being um, an active participant in the movement and in the revolution and to having your face be the forefront and for you having to now tell the stories, for you to be the trusted mouthpiece for these women um, who've experiencing experienced this. So this sort of snowball effect of what it means to speak up what it means when, you know, a, who knows how many white women were there and could have spoke up and didn't and still aren't and are still withholding silence. And I think when we talk about, you know, privilege, we have to talk about what your silence means. A lot of people think, well, I didn't say anything, so I'm not doing any harm. No, your silence is actually doing a lot more harm than good. People need to see you speak up. People need to see you say, hey, 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 you know, the Black woman blew the whistle, we got it from here, and leave her the hell alone. You know, I think that we, it's a call for bravery and courageousness, and courageousness, um, which is, is a, the difficult route, you know, it's difficult to be different than your peers, and different, difficult to say, I'm not going to uphold privilege in this way, and I'm not going to uphold the status quo in this way, but that's what I think is required of the work, and so when I engage with women like you, who create space, um, for women to have these conversations who use your privilege and your exposure to share um, your platform. That's the work that I think needs to continue to be done. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's constantly needing done. Yeah. And we all, but we need to be there to support each other and have each other's back, as you say. And there, mm -hmm. there, is, there is a time and a moment. And this moment now for the nurse in America is somebody needs to step make sure that she's protected yes it's such an interesting thing with social media movements at the moment how people can go from just posting like a little bit of something just stuff that interests them to saying one thing or posting one video or sharing one one post and it does take them in like stratospherically into the news into people's sight and and the effect that that has on anyone's emotional and mm -hmm. psychological well-being and for it to then be something that she wasn't like it's not like she's been posting for kind of like anything other than she whistled blue because this was important to be noted it is sure. it's a very different point than like someone who's making a tiktok video and suddenly like ends up like viral right you're viral for this very scary reason and I just think that there's such a there there needs to be more education in how people deal with becoming viral. And the, I mean, her situation is just like I can't I can't imagine how she's yeah, it's fucked, absolutely fucking fucked. It's absolutely fucked. And you know, one of the things that I do is I teach a lot of like emotional safety work, like when the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, this summer, when the protests erupted again, very shortly after the death of Mr. George Floyd, um, one of the things that I decided to do was to teach Black people how to cope and to how to understand what we're feeling, which, you know, that's part of education. Our edu You want to talk about fuck our education system? 
it's fucked all the hell. But to see people, um, how to deal with that? Because we sort of just get thrown into these movements, right? Like now you're the face of a movement. Now you're out protesting on the streets. What I need from my white friends and from people who have privilege is for them to say, hey, you take a break and let me take it from here. You know, me and my homies got it. We're going to take a day off of our well-paid jobs and go do this instead. And so it's the risk, it's the constant risk of being uncomfortable and the constant risk that the work could still not pay off right now, right? Like we could still get a fucking tyrant for a president in November, but to hope that what you do means something and that it saves a life and that it makes a difference in the world, um, it's heavy shit. It's just heavy shit. And so that's one of the reasons why I write the way and put out my work is to help people process heavy shit. Does it help you process it as well? Absolutely. That's yeah. what it does first and foremost. It's always been um, a form of therapy. Catharsis is the word I like to use. Poetry as, you know, we keep our emotions and our thoughts and our bodies. And I think it just started like journaling, right? Like you can put this on paper and then it weighs just a little less when you got into the world because you've said it, you've given it language, you've given it a name, you've given it a place in the world, even if nobody reads it or listens to it. For me, it's like, I don't have to be trapped in my head all day. And then you add social distancing on top of it, right? So we're not able to, you know, as a Black woman, fellowship is my number one means of healing. I heal by being around other women. I heal by being around my friends. And so to not be able to safely do that, I damn sure went back to the page because now I'm like, now I've got stuff that I can't, you know, I can communicate over the phone and Zoom and all of that, but that interaction um, just makes things heavy. So Mm. that's sort of, again, you know, why the work, why do the work I do is to make things less heavy. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that, that um, naming it is a really big thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, and actually that gives you power. Yes, absolutely. It's the reclaiming of your own power, which is so, as women, so important for us um, just to be able to name it and know that it's valued and worth. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And think historically, you know, how women have been silenced, how we're the last to get the right to vote, especially Black women. Mm -hmm. You know, how we are the last to get the vice presidential nomination (laughs) or whatever the case may be, how, you know, we are a hundred years behind in this space where white men have had the microphone and it's always been on and they've always been listened to. Um, So that is part of like healing your voice, right? Sharing your story is part of, again, reclaiming your power, taking it back from those who have taken it from us. Yeah, it's so vital. Um, just to kind of move away and just mm-hmm. chat. did you always write even as a kid were you writing yeah did you do story I was 10 years old <laughs> Ten. amazing and what was it do you can you remember what was the first thing that inspired your writing yeah well like the very first thing I wrote um I, I grew up in a church um I've departed from it since but my mother was asked to like do a speech at a mother-daughter thing and she's like hey write this thing with me so I have no idea what the words are were what I wrote um but after that I just remembered that 
I had had it, you know, I'd done that. And I was like, oh, well, maybe you could write poems about, you know, what's going on in school or whatever. So I've really, I just posted something on Instagram today from like high school. I've been writing for almost 20 years or right at 20 years at this point. So it's just been a thing that stays with me. Yeah, because part of who you are, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you. Yeah, that's what I know how to do. <laughs> that's what I believe I was put here to do. So I do that. Yeah. It's it's so fascinating when you find that thing, especially at a young age. Like there's something in there's a blessing in it actually to know from such a young age, like that that's what your path is. Yeah, I I told people, you know, I I didn't have the luxury of being afraid too much. You know, I, I was able to approach it with that childlike wonder and get up there and do it. And even when I failed or I lost the competition. I had a mom who could be like, you know, get back in there, <laughs> get back in there, try it again. And so when you have that as a kid, as an adult, you know, people are like, you're so bold and, you know, you say things that are so courageous. I'm like, well, it doesn't feel that way to me because it was scary 10 years ago, you know? So now it's just like, I'm talking shit and somebody's listening to it, you know? <laughs> um, so it certainly makes you, but, but it also calls us, I'm so glad you made that point, um, It also calls us to heal our inner child though, right? Because I meet so many adults and women who are like, damn, I used to write or, you know, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, why can't you? Why can't you go back to it? We heal our inner child. And, you know, it's always a story of, well, somebody didn't like my work or, you know, I submitted it and I lost. And so I just didn't do it again. Heal your inner child and get back to it, whatever that thing is. I healed my inner child actually. Um, in my 20s two ways so I never learned how to swim and when I was like 26 years old I finally took swimming lessons and I hadn't ridden a bike in 20 years and I bought a bike this year so (laughs) love it constantly healing my inner child I mean that's that's absolutely brilliant I I absolutely love swimming it's one of my things but it's really funny you mention it because the older I've got and the more body conscious I've become Mm -hmm. The more I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go in the swimming pool. And it's something that brings me, I know. And it's something that brings me such joy. And it's just, yeah, that I need to look at that and kind of go, why am I letting that in society's view of my cellulite have an issue? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's human nature, but we have to be mindful and say, you know what? fuck you you're gonna get this work <laughs> you yeah. get these sides just the way they are and we're going swimming you know and nobody can take that from you so have you always been in Atlanta most of my life um I spent the first 10 years of my life in Chicago Illinois okay folks are great migration folks so they came up from Mississippi my grandmothers took trains from Mississippi to Chicago Um, They had kids there, raised families there. And then when I was about 10 years old, my parents decided to move down south. My mom's best friend was starting a church and she was going to help her. So we moved to the Bible Belt. And I've been here ever since, but I live like downtown Atlanta now. um, And I'm an artist here. So it is is my home. Um, Atlanta's got a really um, strong kind of artist vibe to it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, we say here, Atlanta influences the world, whether they give us credit or not. (laughs) Um, And oftentimes, you know, 
we hear rap music and you know when we do it here it's looked at as you know like mumble rap or whatever and then next thing you know Drake has a <laughs> song out you know featuring an Atlanta rapper or whatever but Atlanta is full of art and you know we have like production it's like the Hollywood of the South so Tyler Perry Studios is here um, there are major music studios who've been here. Of course, we have like the Real Housewives shows that are shot here. So Atlanta's just bursting with art. Yeah, the real Hustlers. <laughs> art. I love it. Art. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, in its own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People. People are art. Well, that is, yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. And the you did experience. You didn't do writing at college, university. You you did philosophy. Yeah, yeah. That's um. I was so my plan A was I was gonna get. So my school didn't have like a pre law program. You had to go through philosophy, but that kind of took you like the ethics and social justice route. And so I did that, and I thought I was gonna go to law school. I'd taken the LSAT, um, and then probably I was working a government job and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to law school. And one day I get a call from an agency and they're like, we saw the Missy Elliott poem and we think you do well touring. And I'm like, no shit. (laughs) And so I quit my day job at the time at 26. I tell people I retired at 26. I, you know, quit, emptied out my retirement fund, moved in with my best friend and I have been doing this ever since. I love it. Amazing. I love it. I love that you've brought up Missy Elliott because I want to talk about it. <laughs> I want to talk yeah. about your Missy Elliott poem and uh, tell the listeners what happened. Yeah, so crazy story, right? Um, about four years ago, I guess it was 2016, January 2016. I, I, so I wrote it and performed this poem like six months earlier. But I'm just testing it out. I, I write this like stream of thought poem about what it was like 10 year old me seeing Missy Elliott's I Can't Stand the Rain video for the first time, which is magic considering that I was like eight at the time. <laughs> I had never seen it. And that's still today, very few things compared to that, right? And so um, I write this poem just about that. But then it goes into this conversation about how Missy Elliott always had performances with women, whether it was Left Eye, whether it's The Brat, um, whether it's Monica, Angie Martinez, Lil' Kim, she didn't have enemies in that sense. And so it, it, it made me realize that when you are a true feminism, you realize a feminist, you realize your light doesn't take away from someone else's, right? Or someone else's light doesn't take away from yours. So the poem kind of comes full circle of having that moment of seeing representation, seeing myself in media, and then also seeing myself, seeing Missy like uplift other women. And so that sort of became kind of my decree for why I do what I do. And so Missy sees it, it goes viral on Twitter and she's like, yo, I think this is amazing. Um, she asked me, so she thinks she's slick. She's like, can I send you something tomorrow? And I'm like, it, tomorrow's Saturday. So I'm like, well, she's rich. She probably could send something if she wanted. But I say, let me clean up the house just in case she's got like this wild idea, right? And so I clean up and I get a knock on my door while I'm watching Jeopardy because I'm like 62, really. And um, <laughs> Missy Elliott is standing at my front door and she comes in and she's like, I've never done this before, but I love the poem so much that I had to come meet you. 
And she had like snuck her white Corvette into my little $800 Montana apartment. Yeah, I was living in a little apartment. And um, that really was a, circ- a moment to say, wow, I get to now sit and, and look at my idol's face. And she tells me she listens to the poem. And I'm like, well, you know, my work is done here. I didn't, I didn't need to perform a day after that, but I performed like 200 shows since that day. So <laughs> it's been crazy. I mean, that's just like one of those mind-blowing moments, isn't it? Like you're sitting yeah. there and you're idle. The, the woman that you watched at eight years old in that video is like in your living room. And like purple lipstick and like, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> i tell you what though, she looks much bigger on TV. She's like 5'2". Oh, really? <laughs> but in my mind, she's like 6'3", you know, how big she looks on TV. So yeah, she's very miniature. <laughs> I totally would have thought she was really tall as well. It's just yeah, obviously no. her presence, right? It's her it's her energy. Yeah, she's yeah. very small. So yeah, that I mean, was amazing. It's a good story. I like that story. That is, yeah, that is a great story. And have you ever come to the UK? Like, I know you said that you've worked um, with somebody from the UK, but have you ever come to the UK for any tours? No, so I was hoping to do that this year. I just released a book called Smoke. I was just, you know, getting ready to do the UK and we were working on Australia and of course COVID. So this is my first UK stop. I visited London before as a tourist. I was in Chelsea a little bit and then we took the train to um, Paris. So that was cool. Nice. But hopefully I get to see all your bookstores and cafes after all of this is over because I was looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We do have know. some good ones. I know. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I know. Talking about that, how apart from obviously not getting to be out and perform, how has kind of lockdown been for you? Like, are you guys still quite strict in Atlanta or is it more relaxed? So I'm going to be the bad guy here. Atlanta generally acts like COVID didn't happen and our numbers reflect it. Unfortunately, Atlanta is a young town. It's a town that we call it Wakanda. It's a town of black millennials. And so I think, but, but I try not to blame people too much because there's like the psychological aspect of being isolated, right? Then we have a governor who doesn't care about our well-being. So he was late to quarantine and early to send everybody back early to open the restaurants back and so I think it's like you know world it's like this this it's almost like a mind fuck right like well the governor says it's okay and the restaurants are open and I got my mask and should I go and then it's like well I know that this is dangerous and this is a real thing and the numbers reflect that um so I'm trying to like stay indoors but then it's like people also trying to work right because um another thing I doesn't government doesn't do well is support us you know there are countries who whose governments have sent out checks who's made sure that they don't have to go to work for the next few months or till the end of the year or whatever and ours gave us 20 weeks you know most people just got 1200 and some people didn't get that if you were on unemployment and were eligible you you got the summers worth but then it's like what do you expect people to do in August and September these waitresses who 70% of them are laid off and only 30% of those jobs are coming back these retail workers 
you know, I see the desperation in people trying to get jobs, trying to work at places, even though people aren't covering their mouths like they're supposed to. So it's this the struggle of like trying to make a living and trying not to lose your damn mind in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as the UK, um, our government hasn't been great at all. And what I find fascinating is the majority of countries that are run by women are dealing with this so much better yeah (laughs) isn't that something isn't it (laughs) I don't remember if it was like the Bahamas or Barbados but she did a press conference and was like get two weeks worth of stuff and stay home (laughs) in no uncertain terms yeah and um and it's so interesting, like that perspective. So over there, are you all like open at all? Are you still very strict with closing things? No, we're we're pretty much, I mean, Glasgow where we are is actually, we're just back in a kind of partial lockdown. So we can only go to two people's houses. Um, okay, okay. So like that shared house. Yeah, shared yeah. houses. But we can still go to the pub and the restaurant okay. <laughs> yeah um but it looks like it's kind of getting stricter again because down in England there's been more restrictions placed on people um today because uh, the numbers are rising yeah but school, like- schools are back here and schools have been back here for a month now so that's definitely making a difference which was obviously yeah. always going to do because you know the kids are all back and then everything but it's I mean, you have it in America. I think there. I think it's everywhere. There are the people who think that um, COVID's a hoax and that they, some for some reason, like wearing your mask to protect yeah. another human being is a bad thing. I don't get it, but you know, um, why would you not want to help your fellow human being? I just think, why would yeah. you risk it? Like, even if you think this is a hoax and I don't really get it, why would you risk it? Why would you just risk, don't risk it? Right? Uh-huh. It's like taking your umbrella just in case, right? Like right? it might not fucking rain, but if <laughs> but it, it might, does, you'll be ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who knows? I mean, who knows if we're going to get to the end of the year without another full lockdown? But I, I think we need it. Um, but I implore you know, the governments and the leaders to make it easy for people to lock down. Right now, it's very difficult for people. And then, you know, I just think about the weight of people who are like virtually teaching their kids. Then suddenly their home has become their office. So now they're the cook, they're the teacher, they're, you know, the tech department and all of this. Like it has really impacted our lives in ways that I think we won't even be able to measure until years to come. I totally agree. I think the lasting effect psychologically of what it's going to leave behind. And as you see, even that thing of like, your home's become your office. And if you've got kids, you're also the teacher. Like my home's my stage now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've got, I mean, as actors, like the amount of self tapes that we've all been doing and like finding a blank wall. (laughs) Yeah. I realise that my house is not well, my flat. Um, you realise your house is in a set. <laughs> you I was like, oh, um, I don't really have a plane wall. I need to find one. Um, yeah, uh, but it, it is. It's like for these people, it's just like it's constant. They're constantly there's no break, and that's not good, right? Let's say. Uh, and, and they're not getting paid 
for childcare. They're not getting paid to cook and clean their yeah. houses. They're not getting paid. Like, I'm sorry, but like universal basic income. Universal basic income, please and thank you. Like I, it, yeah. I, it's not a utopia. It's no. just fucking basic human right. Like, yeah. if there is enough money to do that, it will keep the economy afloat and people will live. Like, it just, it's, it's not too much to ask. It's when people, when people are like, oh my god, that would just, wouldn't that just be lovely? Like, what a utopia! <laughs> it's not a fucking utopia. It's just fucking, like, it's just the way the world should be, motherfuckers. Like, just get on board. It is just the way the world should be, motherfuckers. That's it. That's it. Get on board the train. And it really makes you realize that people have voted for folks who don't have human decency, who don't have a regard for life, who don't have a regard for how children are treated in this environment. You know, one of the things that came up um, and conversations was people who are suddenly now in domestic violence situations all day instead of just eight hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Horrific. Absolutely. Like beyond horrific to know that that's happening, to know that there is no support networks in place. I mean, I know there's a lot of charities that are really trying, but they're underfunded. They are overstretched. Overfunded, overstretched, exactly. Yep. And then you have people who are doing way more philanthropy than the government who has a budget to do. Right. It still fucks me up that teachers buy their own supplies. I mean, that is why. Why would they be doing this? You already don't pay them. (laughs) But you're having a fucking NBA championship in a fucking bubble. So, yeah. Um, boys in their sports. (laughs) <laughs> boys in their sports white men in their sports team yeah I mean our prime minister has just allowed a hunting to have more than so the, the rule at the moment is you're only allowed six people um to be together from two different houses but he's changed that rule for a hunting for his posh friends so that they can yeah oh. so, that, so that they can all go and hunt and you know everybody else in the country is like priorities. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about the what about the old person that can't get out and get their shopping and hasn't seen anybody for seven months that lives on their own? Yeah. Or okay. what about the kids that um are also like you know you mentioned about the domestic um abuse situation. There's also there was a big worry for the kids that are from vulnerable homes as well. Um, Ooh, eat, get their meals at school that's exactly lunches their meal yeah we had over here and I don't know if you guys saw um in America but one of a a footballer a soccer player a really famous soccer player over here actually um raised money and pushed the government to continue a uh, the kids lunches mm-hmm. over the summer but it took a ridiculously famous soccer player and loads of press and funding to act, and not the people we voted to exactly make these decisions, right? Isn't that crazy? Even here, like now, we're getting it where um, there are some counties who are doing it well, who say any kid under eighteen can get a free lunch, right? But at some point, you know, I hesitate to have the conversation about the quality of the food we're providing. 
um, to have the conversation about sustainable practices. And what's most sustainable is, as you said, universal income. Give every parent, we will take a kid from a parent and put them in a different home and give the new home money, but we won't give parents $1,200 a month to be able to make ends meet. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's this mentality that everybody's at it. Everyone's yep. like looking to like just sit around yeah. and like just like like who's gonna do that? Who actually wants to just sit and do nothing? And see if they did just want to sit and do nothing, that would be fine too. But like people but want to go out and do stuff. People want to because like look at us in lockdown. We were all fucking climbing walls, doing like DIY projects, planting plants, and like doing like. Um, gardening and baking like we were doing yeah, all these sure. things that you just think but people that want to be busy but that in itself was like one of those moments for me it was like you're only getting to do those things if you can do those things if you can afford to yeah. do things like what about what about the the single mum with five kids or three kids that's in a high-rise flat so like a really like you know that doesn't have any bit of garden has got no money and she's trying yeah. to keep her kids entertained and not let them out of the house and keep them safe. Yeah. And then not increasing, like even the benefits in- increase here. It's like 279 bucks for six months. You can't feed kids on 300 bucks for six months. You just can't, especially not because you've made food and accessible. Yeah, that that's what our benefits here, at least in Georgia. It was 279 per kid and that was to last you the semester. This is when we keep saying this that we need to film the podcast because Misha and I's face, there's always a moment where yeah, we're going to like, say y'all should post this <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know like head and hands like yeah. it's shameful. It's so shameful and we as civilians who do our best and we do philanthropic work and we do work to try and like promote justice, we are ashamed and we are trying really hard within our own means. I just don't understand how you could be in government and not feel just an ounce of like a complete embarrassment. Lack of empathy. It's a complete, it's, we, we are run by sociopaths and narcissists. It's violent at this point. Yes, we are run by sociopaths and narcissists. Exactly this. And so, you know, I don't want to stay on the soapbox because I think that there is a little light and the little light is that we can do what we can where we are. And I know the world seems overwhelming to save, to try to save. That's because it's not our job. It's our job to do what we can with what we have, where we are, and to ask help for people and to be help to other people. And so that is like, my silver light is that even in COVID, people have been nice to me. People have reached out and been like, hey, how are you doing since you're not home? You know, even when the government goes to hell. And so what I want is for you to pay these essential workers, for you to pay these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like, we ran to art, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody ran to Netflix. Everybody made new Spotify playlists. Um, people ran to their new podcast and everybody's like, what web series are you watching? And what, you know, what are you looking at? Who are you listening to? And so support your local artists as much as you can support podcasts like this persistently nasty, nasty. If you're listening, um, support the poet support, you know, that artist who 
depends on coming to tour your little town, look for them, look them up, follow them, buy their work um, because we're consuming it. We're consuming it. And that's another thing too, is that art I think is just as essential as a lot of these other things that we have. It, it is essential. And you're right, as I've said this so many times, I actually, because at the start of lockdown, um, self-employed people and actors and stuff, we're not going to get any help from the no, government. No, we weren't even counting. Yeah, and um, I wrote a kind of letter. There was lots of us doing it, um, and I wrote a letter, and I just said, and this was like two weeks in, and I was like, in these two weeks, everybody has gone to Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, a like iMusic. You've read novels. You've looked at paintings. You've yep. listened. <laughs> radio plays you've gone back in the archives concerts all of it exactly and it's like so you can't turn around and tell us that art isn't important (laughs) right and not funded yeah art is hugely important it's important for all of us because it's actually I think it's how we stay connected as a society but also as a global society because it's what helps us see each other's stories and each other's truth yes Absolutely, because you got to think about it. Whatever you take and put into art, that's what's most true and most real for you. And so what's most real for, you know, folks in Paris who may be experiencing racism? Um, What's most real for folks, you know, in Africa? What's most real for folks in Scotland? And to have that on display and to be able to share it, well, one, it makes us more human, right? It makes us less crazy and stuck in our own heads (laughs) and um you know one of my things is we're not special but art makes us see that that you know your pain is an artist's pain or that it can reflect that so that's why it's super important for me um to continue to practice art yeah it really is and talking about that Ashley do you want to kind of just fill everybody in on smoke and what inspired (laughs) smoke and everything yeah yeah, so I've got a book out called Smoke. It came out on 420, um, very intentionally. <laughs> and Smoke is a book about heartbreak. It's a book about a girl. That girl is me. Um, in 2018, I went through what I thought was going to be the worst year of my life. Like it was a breakup. We had been together most of our 20s. So it's super difficult and abrupt. Like I just came off tour and he ended things. And I talk about that in the book. And so the poems go through like the lowest moment, right? Like the moment when you first find out that your life is going to be different. But what I like to say is that it starts in heartbreak, but it ends in healing. It ends in love. Um, By the time you get to the end of the book, you see where I try. I gave love another try. You see where, you know, I've reckoned with sort of the things about like loving my body and really being enough and really considering myself enough. So Smoke is a Book of Poems. It's on Amazon.com. You can get a signed copy on AshleyHayes.com. I've got about 25 of those left that I'll ship out. Um, I also have other merchandise. (laughs) So yeah, Smoke is there and it sells in the UK. We are an Audible Kindle. You can get it um, UK. It should be worldwide distribution. I know South Africa's gotten it. So yeah, that's my little baby, my little book of poems. Um, It is out there. But if you've ever felt heartbreak, if you've ever missed somebody, if you've ever, you know, had to create a new ideal or reinvent yourself, I think smoke um, can certainly be um, of use to you. (laughs) 
of interest. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that the first time that you had decided to put a collection of poems together? That's actually my second collection. The first one is still in digital, but we took it out of print. Um, it's called The Land of the Living. And that was dealing after the death of my father. So that one was dealing with a lot of grief. Um, I really started my social justice work in there too, of dealing like with the aftermath of the death of Trayvon Martin. Um, I think at that time, Trump was Trump was just being elected. That was 2016. Um, so that book has like some of that and then smoke, like we bring some of those same things back. Okay. Um, I mean, I think that everybody should be getting a copy of smoke. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Please get it. Um, you know, I'm a little artist who wanted to tour this year, but virtually things have been well you know I get to do fun stuff like this and colleges and universities have been working to make the switch to virtual so I get to teach workshops and teach freshmen how to like cope with social distancing through poetry so you can find out more about all that work at ashleyhayes.com yeah um and also you've got your podcast Ashley yeah hey society learning is out there it's my little podcast for creatives um it really is, it's always like, my work is always for me first. And so I approached the podcast kind of after the story and smoke, right? I was like, hey, y'all, I'm heartbroken. Let's figure out how to heal heartbrokenness together. And then after that, it's like, okay, so now that we've done that, let's figure out how to like, be better creatives and, and practice more courage when we do our work and how to really be honest in our work and how to be ourselves. And how to figure out who our audience is and who we're talking to. And so it really has morphed into this thing where, you know, I say I teach self-mastery, business, and ethics. I want to teach you how to know who you are, be who you are. I want to teach you how to be better in business, but also how to be a better citizen of the world. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, yeah, you are. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a great podcast. I was actually listening to yesterday. I was listening to the one about weed um, with your yeah. pal. Yeah. <laughs> My best friend. Yay. Yeah. I was He's from London, actually. Oh, it was such, it was just. It doesn't have an accent, but yeah, he was born in the UK. Oh, was he born? Oh, it just, it was, um, what I really loved about it was it was just two friends having a really honest conversation about a, a topic that people have a lot of opinions on. Mm-hmm. And, a lot. and they vary <laughs> and they vary yeah and and what I really liked was um neither of you tried to diminish those other people's opinions but you you just wanted to kind of go this is our experience putting it out there and I just thought it was really great and just really um and then my other one that I'd listened to the other day was the um the power of the, uh, the divine I can't remember the full title of it um oh like alternate spirituality I wonder if it was that one. Oh no no divine masculinity from toxic masculinity to divine, divine masculinity, masculinity. yep yes that was good that was good because I got to talk to a man about the terrible things men do honestly and candidly <laughs> and you know Rashid Copeland is a poet out of DC and he does a lot of work on like teaching men emotional intelligence um, and how to do their own emotional work. So that was one of my favorite interviews for sure. Oh yeah, it's it's great. It's again, it's like another one of my but like kind of feel that should be getting out at school. 
Yes. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I created Hazel Tide Learning to teach the things you don't get at school. Yeah. And imagine if, you know, like I get like home economics was like a thing, right? But imagine <laughs> if we spent a year or if we spent like an hour every semester or, you know, if it were somehow incorporated that just like you have gym, just like you have social studies, you have emotional intelligence, understanding who we are, how we feel, and how we interact with each other. And, you know, you may get that in college, but I didn't even get it there. I didn't get it until Mm -hmm. I started researching on my own and reading like the work of Brene Brown and reading the work of Bell Hooks. And Bell Hooks is a um, Black feminist essayist, and she writes about love um, between Black folks. Imagine if I had known, you know, what that meant and had definition and language. So that's what I try to try to give to people. Yeah, I, I think it's just a so, so important. And like that episode in particular for me, I was like, oh God, if, if you heard that at a young age and you're a guy and you're hearing this conversation about moving away from just, I'm trying to think Culture of the dominance. Yeah. Really. Uh-huh. And just um, how much that could change our society. It would change violence, you know, against women. Yeah. Because what what Rashid and I found through our conversation and through our work is that masculinity and patriarchy is largely largely upheld by dominance. Not Mm -hmm. just power, because two people can have equal power, but specifically dominating another person. And that person is almost always women and children Mm. yeah it's so important and and we will link all of that uh, in the uh, description of the episode we'll do all that I mean everybody needs to get following you anyway if they're not already (laughs) um so I know we're coming we're totally coming up in an hour and I can't believe it it's gone so fast (laughs) um so we ask everybody at the end of the episode what the phrase persistent and nasty means to you. It can be whatever comes to your mind. Persistent and nasty. Um, like you're going to keep going, but you're also like going to fuck some shit up on the way. <laughs> like that's kind of my thing. It's like, you know, when I think about nasty, you know, it's it's not just nasty in like a sexual sense, but like, you know, somebody can make like a nasty shot in basketball and you're like, ooh, that was good. <laughs> like, I'm going to be visible here, but I'm always going to be able to violate and upset the cultural norms. That's what it speak, speaks to for me. Big snaps. We got snaps from me. Thank you. There's <laughs> that ASMR snapping. We start and yes, end with the yes, ASMR. Yes. <laughs> That is so cool. But yes, that is what it means. And I'm so glad that you all have this space. Thank you for inviting me to this space. Um, Thank you listeners for giving me a moment to be a guest here. It's it's been an amazing experience. Uh, Thank you. I'm going to come have coffee with you in Glasgow. Now I have a friend in Glasgow and I'm going to make a trip out there. show you all the big shops. I'm so excited. Don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, oh, don't worry, we'll sort you out. It'll be good. Scottish <laughs> people can all. Scottish people can party. We're good. Yeah. Elena That's do the party. I, I have heard that y'all can drink under a table. Okay. 
Do you know what? I actually can't. I'm a really weak drinker, but Elaine definitely can. <laughs> I'm like, mm, that was a nice me, one. Right? <laughs> so I will be with her with like my Shirley Temple. Yeah, and we'll do. Yeah, her. we'll do the morning shifts. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys can make sure that I get. But I gotta get some Irish cream. Y'all do that well, oh, and I'll have oh, yeah, some of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we will get you sorted, Ashley. Do not worry. Um, Ashley Hayes, thank you so much. Um, also, people can hear Smoke on Spotify. Yep, Spotify, Title, um, Amazon Music. It is everywhere music is found. Apple Music, iTunes. You can and buy you can it, download it, stream Ashley's it. beautiful voice. <laughs> given her amazing poetry and just um like in particular I just have to say this the one where you dedicated to all the women that you've known him is that one him yes thank you um, so good yeah, yeah. I was like goosebumps listening to it I was like whoo yeah actually I'm getting thank emotional you. just thinking about it because oh, first time wow. I heard it, it really like it really got oh I'm gonna cry it really got me it was just yeah really beautiful so thank you so much Ashley for your time and yeah thank you all so much yeah him is on YouTube that's my little baby um I directed that video myself and um yeah you can listen to the whole book on audible um I try to speak softly so you can listen to it while you ride or while you're at home so (laughs) Yeah, thank you all so, so much. Make sure you support Persistent and Nasty wherever they are and whatever you all are doing. You all have been great hosts, Elaine and Misha. Thank you so much. And I always sign off telling people to hydrate, moisturize, mind your business, and wash your damn hands. So hopefully your <laughs> listeners will listen to me. I Listen to that. I actually thought because you had done quite a lot of M's there, I was waiting on Masturbate because that came up in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I should add that to the next version of this shirt. I like this. Hydrate, moisturize, masturbate, wash your hands, and fuck off. And mind your business. Mind your business. (laughs) Mind your business. I like like mind your business. Well, we are going to do our sign off. Um, So thank you, Ashley, and thank you, listeners. And stay nasty. (laughs)